From the campus of Stanford University and on location, this is the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast, featuring in-depth, one-on-one interviews with purpose-driven entrepreneurs and high-performance people, committed to ideas, positive outcomes, and a better world. Our radio show and podcast illuminates the struggle, breakthroughs, and exceptional outcomes these game changers bring to industries, organizations, and lives. Hosted by Tom DiOro, principal of Podfather Media. For our guest today, let's welcome Tim Johnson, founder and CEO of Appraise. Appraise is a marketing and public relations agency that helps organizations grow and build their brands through integrated campaigns that include energized media and analyst relations compelling content, engaging digital and social media, while captivating design, video, and breakthrough events. Prior to starting Appraise, Tim was Managing Director of Golan Incorporated, San Francisco's office and director. Clients of the practice, including giants such as Amazon, Cisco, HP, Oracle, Texas Instruments, and many more. Team included more than 200 professionals worldwide. For more information, feel free to visit appraisepr.com. Again, appraisepr.com. Dot com. Hello, Tim. Good morning. How are you today, Tom? I'm doing well. I hope you are as well, Tim. So honored to have you on our show. I really am. Thank you. It's, it's great to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Tim, you know, on our shows, we like to start with something with a, a, a bit of a sense of a humor, if you, if you don't mind. What I mean by that is something that may have started, maybe uh, something might have tripped you up, if it would be trivial or even large, that you kind of look back with, uh, whether it's even now or maybe uh, in, in the past, with kind of a sense of humor uh, about this situation. Um, sure. So I started a business in college, believe it or not, shoveling snow. Oh, really? I went, wow, I went pretty- to school in upstate New York and a professor basically said, you know, a young guy like you uh, could make a lot of money shoveling snow of us dumb professors. And so he spotted me $200. Uh, I bought a snowblower and in the first year made about every mistake an entrepreneur <laughs> could make in terms of spending too much before I brought it in, making my contracts too loose and, and all sorts of things. Um, so ended up losing a pile of money and being exhausted after the first year. So um, I learned a lot from that experience. Wow. Now, was it something that uh, you, you approached him with or kind of a, a little bit of both? Like, you know, no, hey, he I- was my faculty advisor. And in our first meeting, uh, he, he had this idea. And, uh, and I said, well, if you spot me the money, I'll, um, I'll get it started and pay you back. And I figured he'd never do it, but he, <laughs> but he did it. That's great. And Tim, how do you, you know, you've worked with some, obviously some uh, major companies uh, uh, in and around the world, and you also work with startups. Can you, can you share with your audience today what, you know, the differences may be or what you've experienced the differences between the two are? Yes. Um, so if you take a, a former client uh, like Hewlett Packard, it was really wonderful to have the amount of resources that they were able to bring to the table. So if we came to them with a $100,000 idea, if we could sell them on the idea, they would do it. And, and that was great. Um, so that was one sense, sense of, um, of, of satisfaction. Um, on the startup side, a lot of these companies have executive teams that are really brilliant, but don't know a lot about marketing and are really resource constrained. And so we're constantly asking and trying to answer the question, how do we take that $100,000 idea for Hewlett Packard and do it for $5,000? And, and pulling that off is, is a whole nother sense of satisfaction. 
Now, with the startups and uh, and the larger companies, you said something I think is really interesting is they do not know a lot about marketing. In my experience and opinion, a lot of companies, in fact, okay, let's just be generous and say maybe half of them do not understand the importance of marketing and public relations. How, how do you share with with a, an individual who's starting their own business who really doesn't have an understanding without kind of insulting them about it? Well, we, we explain what we do and we show the value that we've brought to other clients who are in similar circumstances. Um, and then we, we often will try to make the process easier for them by offering to do a project for three or six months so they don't feel like they're, uh, they're roped in for a year. And we also encourage them to talk to their investors because most savvy investors uh, proactively tell their portfolio companies to go out and find marketing resources, whether they're in-sourced or outsourced. Yeah. Now, how about the, uh, gosh, it was, I'm trying to remember, Peter Drucker who had said something like marketing innovation or the two of the most important components. I'm not sure exactly how the, the quote goes, but I know marketing innovation were the ones that actually generate the revenue What's you know your thought on uh, that importance? Obviously, that's what you do. But like, it, how really impacting it can it be to a company's success to focus within their marketing innovation and promotions? Well, the two definitely go hand in hand, and one cannot succeed without the other. So there's a saying in the PR business that nothing kills a bad product like good PR, for example. Okay. Um, so if, if the product is not innovative or differentiating, the marketing program is going, going to fail no matter how terrific mar- a marketing team you put together. On the other hand, you, if, if a company develops a really innovative product and can't get the marketing resources together to, to promote it, the product is still very likely to fail. Mm. Can you share an example? You don't have, of course, to not name companies where they... they uh Either you approached them or they approached you, and it it looked like uh, it was really challenging, whether it was dealing with the executives or the shareholders, and you turned something that was like, really, how are we going to do this to like, you know, just amazing, wonderful, it exceeded their expectations, maybe even yours as well. Uh, again, you don't have to share company names unless you, you want to, but I'd love to hear a story. Um, sure. So we work with a company developing um, robotic vacuums that compete with Roomba. Uh, and the executive team are really terrific and they have a really strong uh, marketing person. But it's a really, you know, it's a really tough road. Uh, Roomba has made tremendous inroads. There are already a lot of other competitors. And we, we've proposed to them uh, a, a pile of ideas, some of which they bought and some they didn't. But by kind of taking the ideas that they did accept and taking them to the, to the limit, if you will, and even kind of treading into a couple of areas they didn't want us to go, we've been able to put them on, on the roadmap. Oh. Can you share with us how a company can differentiate from another, even if the difference is so small? Like, how do you find that? Is there a process you go through or is part of it experience and then part of it just professional intuition? I don't know if that's a word, but I mean, there, there is a level of, of intuition. Um, but, but also we, uh, we pride ourselves as an agency of really digging in and learning our clients products in, in very 
uh, minute detail. And for a robot vacuum, that isn't hard. But when you're talking about a semiconductor or a radar sensor where there are sheets of technical specifications, it's quite a bit harder. Um, but it really contributes to making us, um, to making us successful. Yeah, Tim, how do you, this is a personal question, but how do you, do you, are you able to turn it off? Because I know there's working hours, but so much of this, this creativity and discovery is, uh, happens maybe not always, uh, on the job, say, you know, nine to six, eight to five type of thing. How do you turn it off if you even do? Um, it is hard to turn it off. And even if uh, the clients in the agency are, are not at front of mind, uh, they're always at the back of, of my mind. And sometimes I'm taking my dog for a run in the hills and have an idea and, uh, you know, leave myself a voice message to, um, you know, to, to dig into it to dig yeah. into it later. But I like what I do, so I don't really consider it, you know, a seven-day, 24-by-seven burden. It's, it's what I like to do, and, uh, and, and I like uh, working with the team, and I like working with the clients. Oh, well, I think it might be, if, tell me if, I, if I'm uh, stretching a bit, but I think you know, what it is you do, especially seeing some of your, your work, that it's a, it seems like a 24-7 job, even, even in your sleep. I, I'm, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it. Well, I mean, it, I mean, it is because I mean, we have clients that have offices and needs around the world, and uh, we work uh, with a incubator called Plug and Play and are introduced to a lot of companies there. Um, their primary focus is bringing overseas startups into the U.S. And so that often means that we have calls when, when they're available. And sometimes that's one in the morning, our time, and, you know, we just have to deal with it. That's excellent. You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast on KZSU, Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Tim Johnson, founder and CEO of Appraise, a marketing and public relations agency. For more information, feel free to visit appraisepr.com. Again, appraisepr.com. Now, working, if you, uh, what percentage is our new clients uh, or just startups or actual, you know, established company? Have you ever... You know, deciphered that or you, you don't really focus I, on that? I think about that because I like having a balance. And if you look at it by number of clients, I would say 70%, 70 to 80% of our clients are startups. If you look at it by revenue, it's about half and half. Really? Okay. That's pretty significant. Now, what's your thought on a company starting? A, this is my opinion and you might uh, disagree with it, but I think most companies, if they start, they ought to begin with at least engaging with a public relations agency. Um, obviously, that's, I don't know if that's taught and definitely not taught in, in all business schools, but what's your, uh, what's your thought on that? I think a company before, several months before they launch, ought to engage with a marketing resource. That could be an outside agency, and of course, we would prefer that, but sometimes that's, that's a person that they would hire um, internally or can even be a freelancer who might have experience in their industry, but they definitely do need a resource of some kind, in, in, yeah, in my opinion. I, I say that because uh, you know a number of companies that uh, I've worked, not work with, but at least have seen, they, they may not start with a full legal 
team and their foundation to set up their their company legally uh and i and i feel like public pr is just as important uh, of course you that's what you do so you you might favor it but if you don't mind sharing why that would be an advantage because there's a lot of legwork that a company has to do prior to launching the company uh and that ranges everything from uh, all of the external uh, customer-facing things you would see, like their website and their messaging. But it also gets into um, how, who, who really who, are, who do they say their competitors are? Who do we think their competitors are? What do we think their competitors are going to do over the next 6 to 12 months? How do we think the market is going to shift over the next 6 to 12 months? And, and uh, several things like that, that that can sometimes take some time to figure out. Is there ever a challenge where the uh, principles of a, either a client or a prospective client have an idea of where they want to go and uh, you understand that, but you think, you know, I think this might better serve them? Yes, uh, I, I do have an example. Um, a while ago, we worked with a company developing an app uh, for the insurance industry. And the idea of the app was that when you or I bought a high-end consumer electronics product, um, we would scan the barcode on the back and this app would make available warranty information, product manuals, and, and that type of, of content. Um, we were skeptical that there was a market for this given that you can uh, you know, Google the name of the product and get the manual pretty quickly. Um, and same with the warranty information. So, what we recommended is doing a market survey um, where we asked consumers those types of questions about whether, whether they had a need for this. And we got a very tepid response. Um, however, while we were doing the survey and doing other research into the market, we realized that uh, property and casualty insurance fraud was a $60 billion per year problem. Uh, to the insurance industry. So what we recommended the company do was to reformulate their product and sell it to insurance companies who would require their policyholders to do that same kind of scanning so that the consumer who had an inexpensive refrigerator and then had a fire could not say that they had a $2,000 um, Gen Air refrigerator and try to, uh, you know, do that kind of a deal. And they... And they did that, and it was and it was quite successful for them. Do you find that you are also exceeding uh, the your, your, the scope of your uh, agreement with uh, clients in it, providing them uh, that that level of advice that really is not uh, it's maybe not in your contract or agreement with them, but it, it's for their own uh, benefit. You know, I, I try to take the long view in that. People, the execs at that company will be at other companies down the road and they're going to remember what we did for them and, and bring us on and again. And in fact, that's happened many times. Many times. Wow. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. How has um, business changed, at least in what we're going to head to now since uh, I would say, I guess we call it post-pandemic from, um, you know, prior to and just in your experience in the last several months? Well, it went through a series of phases. And so in the first week 
uh, I have to confess, we of, of shelter in place, I have to confess we were probably all running around in circles a little, little bit, figuring out what the new normal is. And we spent, I would say, the first month working with our clients to help them adjust their messaging and some of their activities to reflect, um, to reflect this new normal. Um, and so what I mean by that is if a company had a product launch in April, do they launch the product or not? And is it seen as, as tone deaf if they did? And those are the kind of things we work through all the time. And we realized quite quickly that a typical news cycle is often a week to two weeks in, in, in B2B tech. We noticed that that news cycle went down to two to four days. And so we had to continuously kind of retune what we were suggesting our clients say publicly. Mm. Yeah, that adjusting the message. Does how often? Well, this is kind of a hard question to not to ask, but I don't know if you are fair to ha- have you answer. But I'll give it a shot. Is adjust your messaging. You know, you have a message that you it fits a, a company or an organization. How often will you have to go in and say, you know what, we're going to adjust this little bit, or does it happen all the time? Um, well, some clients are very open to that, and some were reluctant to alter their messaging. They were, they were a little concerned about confusing their market. So when we noticed that there was a, a, a kind of a new tone to what was uh, being communicated in the media for uh, a client's market, we, we would make our recommendations, and most of the time our clients took it, and sometimes they didn't. Uh, how about identifying the market? Have you, have you come in with clients who say, here's who we are, here's what we think we are, and we're pretty sure about it, and you listen to them and uh, understand their uh, their model, their culture. How often does that happen if it even does, you know, where you have to say, well, I think there's a, here's kind of what the business you really are in. That happens a, a little bit, but not as often as you might think and often it's a tweak meaning a, a company will focus on markets a b and c and we will recommend that they also look at markets d e and f but it's pretty rare that a company's focus is completely off i mean that that insurance app i talked about was probably the biggest example is if they ask you you know look tim here's what we're doing and we like what's going on but you know tell us what you think you know, what we don't want to hear in essence, but you know, it's the truth. And even if it hurts us, it's going to be for all of our benefits. Has anyone ever approach you or any clients ever approach you with that sort of uh, Oh, uh, absolutely. Um, we have, we have a client where we have followed the CEO to, to four different companies where he has, has worked. And he regularly asks us to, to tell him if we think he's off base. <laughs> How quickly do they usually respond to it, or is it just something like, "Wow, is, is, is it all, is it literally a heart to heart?" Yes, I mean, we as you can imagine, we have a very strong and close rapport, um, and and there's a very strong level of trust. So it's not even a private call between the CEO and me. It's often on the regular team calls where we give updates. So he wants to be challenged. He wants to be proven wrong because he'd rather have us prove it wrong than go out into the market and spend a lot of money on a launch and be proven wrong that way. Yeah. Terrific. This is the entrepreneurs radio show and podcast on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Tim Johnson, founder and CEO of appraise a marketing and public relations agency. For more information, feel free to visit appraisepr.com. Again, appraisepr.com. 
dot com. With that, with the challenges, uh, Tim, how often does a client, uh, a prospective client, approach you? You know, where they said, "Look, we've used these different public relations firms, and here's kind of what we're looking looking at." Um, I'm curious if you're at liberty to share, you know, how you differentiate yourself from the other professional agencies that may have they may have used in the, uh, previously. You know, there, there are a few ways, and one of the frustrations I have is I never see a competitive agency's uh, proposal, so I always feel like we are writing our proposals a bit in the dark. And so I think the best way around that is to simply and honestly recommend what we think is best for a client and what we think the best budget is and, and what we believe our, our uh, differentiators are. I, I can tell you that we place a lot of emphasis on develop, developing measurement approaches because pretty much none of our clients have an unlimited budget. So we need to constantly be trying to make certain that they're earning the highest or that we're earning the highest ROI possible for them. And I would rather tell them, we recommended these six tactics. These four are working great. This one's okay. And this one isn't working. So let's cut our losses and move on. Then six months later, have the clients call us and tell us that. Now, how about the, the, uh, the highest ROI? You mentioned that is uh, there's another one that I've heard that I'm really liking. It's called cost of inaction. I don't know how you your process is for um, putting a quantitative value on your uh, the investment, but what is can you do with the in a, terms of a cost of inaction? So, for example, company says, you know, we like what you do, but uh, we're not sure we want to do it right now. Is there a way that you present or propose? Like, well, here's what happens if you don't, you know, whether you use us or not. Here's what happens if you don't. Um, leverage a professional services like ours? We, we have done that. And the way we do it is in terms of competitive analysis and point out that the companies that they've told us or their competitors are doing these five things that are going to make an impact and help them increase their market share uh, while our uh, client or prospect um, is on the sidelines. And that once uh, these other companies have that market share, then the ask of a potential customer is very different because now you're not asking them to pick me versus somebody else. You're asking them to go back on a decision they've already made. Hmm. Do you have a, uh, any particular quotes or mantras that you, uh, I don't know if you want to say live by, but that are forefront in your mind in, in uh, working in the profession that you do? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I glorify by calling a mantra, but I have a few very <laughs> okay. kind of core you know, values that I try to bring to the agency and to the clients. Um, you know, one is to continuously try to be aggressive and creative. And I would really much rather have guys in my team go out and do something that's aggressive and a little bit more than the clients asked for and fail than to wring their hands and be concerned about doing it and, and miss an opportunity. Um, and another is uh, kind of the no politics rule. Uh, I came from a big agency where there was a lot of politics and it just left me going home very frustrated. And I determined that if I started my own agency, that that was just not going to ever be a part of it. Yeah. How about the, the values and the culture uh, uh, at your company? How, how do you, um, how would you describe it if you can in a couple of sentences or you know, even if you want to elaborate? 
Yeah. Um, we have a lot of millennials on our team, and they are really a great group to work with because they bring a different perspective for me. And, you know, contrary to stuff that's said and written about them, uh, they're very hard workers. They're very smart workers. Uh, they're very creative, particularly in areas like social media. Um, and, and the clients like working with them. Uh, and they're very eager to, to, to learn and move forward. And so the values um, that I try to imbue in them are to always be aggressive and not fail, to always be straight shooters and, and you know, tell your colleagues and, and me if you make a mistake and come to me with what you propose to do about it. Um, and to always be very active in, uh, advocates for our clients' needs versus the agency's needs. Excellent. Tim, is there anything that we may not have uh, touched or talked on in our show, your show today that uh, you'd like to share with your audience? I think the next six to, to 12 months is going to be a really fascinating period for the marketing and, and PR industry as we emerge from this pandemic uh, and not know if we're going to re-enter it in, in the fall and how the economy is going to improve um, or not, I suppose, and how do marketers give the right guidance to, to their clients and different guidance to clients in different industries? I think it's a really fascinating period, and I'm really looking forward to, uh, to, to navigating it, hopefully, hopefully successfully. Excellent. Tim, it's been a real, a real honor and pleasure having you. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast. Our guest today has been Tim Johnson, founder and CEO of Appraise. Appraise is a marketing and public relations agency that helps organizations grow and build their brands through integrated campaigns that include energized media and analyst relations, compelling content, engaging digital and social media, captivating design and video. That's for sure. For more information, feel free to visit appraisepr.com. Again, appraisepr.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another purpose-driven entrepreneur or high-performing game changer committed to ideas, positive outcomes, and a better world. I'm Tom Dioro. The Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location. The chief recording engineer is Iris Chikopoulos, chief engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Peter Caroline and Omar L. Sabrout. And the executive producer and host of The Entrepreneur Show is Tom Dio. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu.